Krishnananda, Shri Adwaita Gadadhar, Shri Vasadi Gaur, Bhakta Rindaki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Go Gopinashaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai. Vindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navadri Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai. Gauravani Patarani. Nirvasesa Sunivadi Paskatyade Satarane Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Jabhadakamalam. Shri Guru Vaishnavamstha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatham Vitam Tam Sajivam. Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Vitamstha Manchukapati Vishaki Vasandaviva Tapati Tam Pavanavya Vaishnavim Monaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya December 7, 2015 Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 8, Manifestation of Brahma from Garbhadakashai Vishnu, Text 5. Swadun Yudardrai Swajatakala Pyre Uparisantas Charanopadanam Padmam Yadachatyahirajakanya Sa premanana bali beer vatarta Swarduni Uda by the water of the Ganges are dry, being moistened, swajata, bunch of hairs, kalapai, situated on the head, upa. Upasrisantaha, by so touching, Charina Upadhanam, the shelter of his feet, Padmam. Padmam, lotus shelter, yet that which. Archanti, worships, Ahiraja, the serpent king, Kanyaha, daughters, Saprema, with great devotion. Nana, various, Bali Bihi, paraphernalia, Vara Artaha, being desirous of husbands. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. The sages came from the highest planets down to the lower region through the water of the Ganges, and therefore the hair on their heads was wet. They touched the lotus feet of the Lord, which are worshipped with various paraphernalia by the daughters of the serpent king when they desire good husbands. PURPORT The Ganges water flows directly from the lotus feet of Vishnu, and its course runs from the highest planet of the universe down to the lowest. The sages came down from Satyaloka by taking advantage of the flowing water, a process of transportation made possible by the power of mystic yoga. If a river flows thousands and thousands of miles, a perfect yogi can at once transport himself from one place to another simply by dipping in its water. The Ganges is the only celestial river which flows throughout the universe, and great sages travel all over the universe via this sacred river. The statement that their hair was wet indicates that it was directly moistened by the water originating from the lotus feet of Vishnu, the Ganges. Whoever touches the water of the Ganges to his head surely touches the lotus feet of the Lord directly and can become free from all effects of sinful acts. If, after taking a bath in the Ganges or being washed of all sins, a man guards himself against committing further sinful acts, then certainly he is delivered. But if he again takes up sinful activities, his bath in the Ganges is as good as that of the elephant, who nicely takes his bath in a river, but later spoils the whole thing by covering himself with dust on the land. Swadun Yudar Dry Swajita Kalapire Upasprisantas charanupadanam padmam yadachartahira jakanya sapremanana balibir bharata. The sages came from the highest planets down to the lower region through the water of the Ganges, and therefore the hair on their heads was wet. They touched the lotus feet of the Lord, which are worshipped with various paraphernalia by the daughters of the serpent king when they desire good husbands. So here Maitreya is about to answer Vidura's questions, and he's doing so by referencing this former conversation that took place when Sankarsana 
who had been meditating on Vasudev, slightly opened his eyes and spoke to the four Kumaras and other sages. So we just had the description of the Lord, and now we're having the description of the hearers, because both the mood of the speaker and the mood of the hearers is very important. Many times devotees anxious to find a great uh, guru to take shelter of, or some great uh, speaker or guide or teacher, forget that the onus is on both parties. When you put seeds in the field, not only do the seeds have to be potent, but the field has to be fertile. Prabhupada would give the example many times in pregnancy. Both the man and the woman have to be free from disease. There can be a fertility problem on either side. It's not simply the man or simply the woman. So you have both this, the speaker has to be proper and the hearer has to be proper. And here we see the qualifications for the hearer. The qualifications for the hearer is that they have come through the water of the Ganges, they've accepted some process of purification as evidenced by their wet hair. They have prema, which Prabhupada is translating here as with great devotion. And what we're going to focus on primarily, charna upadhanam. Avishwana Chakravati Thakur says that upadhanam means a pillow. Acharana means, of course, the feet, Padma, lotus. So the lotus feet, they've taken the lotus feet of the Lord as their pillow. And this is their qualification. And, of course, the Lord is also described a little bit here in this verse, that he has feet which are worshipped by the serpent king's daughters. And Prabhupada translates it, being desirous of husbands, which is interesting because vara artha, vara just simply means benediction, and artha means a goal. We, we often translate as economic development, uh, something you want to achieve. So the literal meaning of vara artha would mean wanting some kind of benediction. Of course, we have in the fifth canto, 525.5, where the daughters of the serpent king, as touching the lotus feet of Ananta, who's of course an expansion of Sankarsana, they actually start feeling conjugal uh, sentiments, toward the Lord himself, wanting him as their husband. So they may come wanting other husbands, or whatever benedictions they're wanting, and then they end up wanting the Lord as their husband. So what is it that makes us fit to receive the mercy of the Lord? Hmm? The mercy of the Lord is all around us. We have here going through the Ganges, so we may not be next to the Ganges, or maybe we are next to the Ganges. But we all have facility of touching the lotus feet of the Lord. We can certainly worship the deity in our home and touch his lotus feet. What is the difficulty for anyone? We can bathe the Lord, charan amrita, and we get the nectar from his lotus feet. We can drink it, and then we can put it on our head, and then we will have the same qualification as these sages, yes? So what makes us qualified? I mean, if we're going on and on in devotional service and our progress is very slow or very halting or whatever, so we can say, well, I'm not hearing from the right person. And we have sometimes people who run around doing what I would call sadhu chasing. They're always trying to find the right person to hear from, the right festival to go to, the right vrata to take, you know, <laughs> the right holy place to be in. That, that's all right. You know, one should be eager for good association and for what's uh, favorable for our service. And the other way we can look at it is how can I make myself more receptive? We have many instances, I'm sure all of us have experienced, where someone asks us a question, we take some time and effort to answer their question, and they weren't listening. A few minutes later, they'll ask us the same question again. Or if we ask them a question about what we said, they'll say, what, huh? <laughs> we'll say, hi. I thought you were interested in the answer. So we can also look not only at where's the qualified place to go, who is a qualified teacher, who is a qualified guru, what are the activities, the places, the persons that will elevate us in spiritual consciousness, but we can also ask the question, how can I be sincere? How can I have sincerity? How can I have sa prema, with prema? How can, I, how can I do this? How can I be open so that I'll actually receive? 
Because Srila Prabhupada said, we can become Krishna conscious in a moment, which seems to most of us like some sort of phantasmagoria. Krishna conscious in a moment, you know, trying for decades to be Krishna conscious and basically only seeing more and more how un-Krishna conscious one is. So we're going to look here at going to the wrong person with the wrong desires, going to the right person with the wrong desires, and going to the right person with the right desires. So going to the wrong person with the wrong desires. This, this Vara Arta here, uh, Srila Prabhupada is commenting on basically being wrong desires. Now, for a girl to want a good husband is a right desire from a material perspective. It's certainly encouraged that almost all conditioned souls should marry. In modern society, where marriage has become an imagination, the whole society starts falling apart. It's definitely the breakdown of the grahasta ashram in society in general is definitely linked to all kinds of social ills. So marriage is certainly recommended. Uh, Prabhupada talks about this in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says that sacrifice, charity, penance should not be given up, but should be done even by the great souls, because it's purifying. And Prabhupada says the sannyasi should certainly encourage a young man to take up the vivaha yagya, to take up the marriage ceremony. So we don't want to say to young men, young women, oh, don't look for good spouses. No, we certainly don't want to say that. However, it is a material desire. Undoubtedly, it's a material desire. It's a material desire which needs to be facilitated for most people and needs to be dovetailed in service for most people. But at the same time, it is a material desire. So our material desires are for various ways of becoming happy in this world. They have myself as the center. Generally, when one wants to have a good husband, one is not so much thinking of how I can be a good wife to a man, but how the husband can, what he can do for me. The man is thinking, where is a woman who can serve me the way I want? And the woman is thinking, where is a man who can serve me the way that I want? And when... In modern times, when that doesn't work out, then people uh, consider divorce or actually get divorced. Oh, the person's not serving me in the way I had in my mind when I married them, so I'll be cruel to them, I'll insult them, or I'll leave them, and so forth and so on. So it's all about how I'm being treated and what, what I want. And that's the essence of a material desire, whether it's in a marital relationship, whether it's in a job. What's going to satisfy me? What kind of house can I buy or rent that will satisfy my senses? What kind of job will I get that will make me feel fulfilled? What kind of food can I eat that will be tasty to my senses? What kind of music can I hear that I will enjoy? This is, this is what we mean by sense gratification. Something with me as the center where I'm seeing that various living entities and various material objects, how can they fit into my plan for enjoyment? So those are the wrong desires. Why are they the wrong desires? They're the wrong desires because they have nothing to do with myself. Although, wait, 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 wait we just said, put yourself at the met, but that's not the real self. It's not the real self. It's like if I had everything to please my car. You know, but it's not me. I can put the best, you know, fuel in the car, and I can I give it the best washing job, a detail washing job, you know. But if I don't bathe myself, and if I don't feed myself, Prabhupada talked about the bird in the cage. You polish in the cage, polish in the cage, and you don't feed the bird. So these are foolish desires because they're trying to satisfy something that's not me. It's not me. It's like people spending all kinds of time and money and energy on the sports team with which they identify. Whether the sports team wins or loses has no profit for the individual whatsoever. Right? They're thinking, oh, our team won. But what, what did you win? What did you gain? It has nothing to do with ourselves. It's completely superfluous to us. Krishna says these are desires from mental concoction. And many, many times when people have some near-death experience, they see their, their dead body lying somewhere, a hospital bed, whatever, and they don't, they don't even identify with it at all. 
they just think, wow, that, that person's in bad shape. <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, that's me. But what, who am I now? Where am I? And it's, it's absurd. And these things take us away from Krishna. They take us away from understanding ourself by absorption in the false self. We're not able to be absorbed in the real self. So generally, people with these material desires, which give nothing to the real self, and simply take the real self away from its real happiness, uh, are tried to be achieved. People try to achieve them in material ways, through false shelters. So here, the lotus feet of the Lord are compared to a pillow. You know, after a hard day of life in this world, so we're very happy to go in our bed and put our head on our pillow. Nobody wants to lie, put their head on a hard surface. Even Sukadev Goswami, who said, why do you need pillows? He said, you have your arms. <laughs> yeah, kind of put your head just on a rock, you know. So we have this pillow, this is my shelter. And what are our material shelters where we hope to achieve our material desires? Well, from a husband, from a wife, from children, from parents, from brothers and sisters, from our government, from our employer, from our employees, from our home, our car, uh, our various machines, you know, our mobile phone, our computer, or even things like our toothpaste and our laundry detergent, our social status, our learning, of course our body itself, our mind itself. These are all of our, our fallible soldiers, our dogs and cats and cows and chickens and goats, and whatever. So other living beings, our body, our mind, and various objects, we take these three big categories as our pillows. Oh, here's my shelter. Ah, oh, this is where I'm going to find relief. And here I will get these desires fulfilled. Hmm? But it's a false shelter. It's a fallible soldier. They disappoint us. You know, our wife's not perfect, our husband's not perfect, uh, what, not perfect. Uh, they end up being yeah, often the source of our distress. Right? We, we forget, oh, well, in order to get some pleasure from this person, then I also have to serve this person. And sometimes they're sick, sometimes they're grumpy. Maybe they don't act the way I want. And if I disappoint them, they may become cruel or abusive. I have just gotten these series of emails from a couple who's almost definitely going to divorce, and each one of them is writing a whole long explanation of how the other person is a terrible person. But years ago, it wasn't like that. Years ago, they thought, oh, this is a wonderful person. (laughs) Now they think the other person is a terrible person. So the fallible soldiers. You know, you have your cute little child who's smiling at you when they're a few months old, and then maybe when they're older, they become a drug addict, or they hate you, renounce you, don't talk to you for 20 years. As one devotee whose uh, wife has some sort of Alzheimer's dementia and is in a care home, he visits her every day and chants to her. The people there say, you're the only spouse who come every day. Most of these people are just alone. I remember when my mother was in an old age home. Also, most of the people were not visited by anyone. There was one man there who had 14 children, and they said none of them ever came to visit him. So the very people that we think are going to be our source of our desires, they may end up being the source of pain for us. The employer, we may serve the employer for 20, 30 years, and then right before we're due to start getting our pension, they fire us so they don't have to give us a pension. The government that we think is protecting us, the very government may attack us or may cheat us in so many ways. And ultimately, they're all false shelters because even if they're perfect, we have the perfect wife, perfect husband, perfect government, uh, they're not touching the real self. They're only giving something to the false self. So the advice is, whether you have moksha kama, sarva kama, or akama, one should go Udharadi, if you have higher intelligence, you should go to the Lord. So these daughters of the serpent king are in that category. It's interesting, again here, vara artha uh, just simply means wanting desires. And it's not clear 
you know, what kind of desires, just simply from the Sanskrit, but the assumption here is that they're material things, and specifically husbands. But at least they've gone to the right place. They've gone to the lotus feet of Sankarsha. They're wanting something false, but at least they've gone to the real source of things. Because the Lord is the source of both the spiritual energy and the material energy. He's saying these gunas, these modes of nature, are my divine energy. So one who's a little bit more intelligent, Udharadi, even if they have sarvakama, even if they went all kinds of vara, all kinds of benedictions, even if they have many branched intelligence, I want a good husband, and I want good children, and I want a nice house, and I want a nice car, and I want a good job, and I want a lot of money, and I want a lot of jewelry, and I want a lot of... (laughs) You know, even if they have so many desires, they're saying, let me go to where there's at least a chance of getting these desires fulfilled. Because the fallible soldiers, generally, they can't even fulfill our desires. Generally. Of course, as I was saying, even if they fulfill our desires, we're still not satisfied because they're not touching the real self. But usually they can't even give it to us. You know, if someone comes to us and says, please give me a perfect life, well, I'll always be happy and never have any distress, we'll say, I I can't do that for you. I can't even do it for myself. And yet, although we know we can't do it for others, we expect others to do it for us. I know I can't give my spouse a perfect life, but I expect my spouse to be able to give it to me. (laughs) So at least we know that Krishna can do it. Krishna can arrange even our false material situation to be basically perfect from a material perspective. I mean, Krishna does say, Abraham, Abhuvana, Loka, Punarvarti, Narjana, Mamu, Pecha, Punarjama, Punarjama, Nibhijit. He is saying, Abraham, Abhuvana, Loka, that wherever you go in the material world, even if you go to the planet of Lord Brahma, you're still not going to find what you want. But from a material perspective, the planet of Lord Brahma is pretty perfect. It's almost Vaikuntha. I mean, the, the entities there, they're practically speaking like God of the universe. They don't have birth, death, old age, and disease in the way we think of them on this planet at all. It's explained in the Bhagavatam that the only pain they have is anxieties for the conditioned souls. Otherwise, they have no pains and anxieties. So Krishna can give us a situation like that. Krishna has the ability to give us a life in such a planet the top planet in the material world. So he's the perfect source. And of course, Krishna can make our life nice as far as uh, from a material perspective on this planet. Just like the flora Sudama in Mathura, where Krishna and Balaram got their garlands from. And Krishna blessed him, not only with Krishna Prema and going back to Godhead, but also with anything that he wanted for himself and his family within the world any material facility. A similar benediction was given to Dhruva Maharaj. When Prishni Garba, the Lord, saw Dhruva Maharaj, he said to him, you will have everything. He said, you'll not become old. Your senses will always remain strong. You'll have power greater than Lord Brahma because you'll become later the ruler of the pole star. You'll take over your father's kingdom. You'll have all kinds of material enjoyment. So Krishna can give that kind of benediction. Sometimes he does. You'll have everything that you desire. I mean, there are great yogis who can instantly fulfill their desires. They are prapti city and so forth. And Krishna can give that. He has that capacity. No other jiva has that capacity. There's no uh, demigod. What to speak of somebody wandering around on the earth? You know, right, right now we're in an election cycle in America, so every politician is promising things that they can't give. Oh, we're going to get rid of the wealth inequities in America, but you don't have the capacity to do that. So even if they pass, you know, draconian tax laws like in Sweden, there's still going to be wealth inequities. There's still going to be poor people. There's still going to be rich people. There'll still be crime. Oh, maybe they can help a little this or that. But they're not going to be able to solve all of the problems. But Krishna can do that. When Lord Ramachandra was the king of the world, there was no anxiety. There was not even death for those who didn't want it. Even when Maharaj Yudhisthira, the great devotee, was king of the world, was like that. 
world was, was almost like Vaikuntha. And there's ages of the earth like Satya Yuga. So Krishna can do that. Therefore, if one wants such things, one should go to Krishna. Why go to a fallible soldier? Go to the actual soldier. Now, a funny thing happens when you go to Krishna. We're not advising people just to go to Krishna because Krishna is actually capable of giving it, whereas others are not. That's not the only reason we're advising people to go to Krishna, because our aim as followers of the Bhagavatam, as followers of Sri Krishna himself, is not to use the Lord to be happy in this world. That is not our aim. So why is the Bhagavatam, which rejects all kaita vidharma, suggesting that persons go to the Lord even if they have all these vara artha? Because it changes once you meet the Lord. This is the experience generally. Not always, and not always immediately. Daksha saw the Lord and experienced bhava upon seeing the Lord, but he maintained his material desires, and he committed an offense against Narada Muni. So it's not absolute, we have free will. However, there's a very strong chance that when we go to the Lord for our material desires, we'll become attracted by the Lord. As Dhruva Maharaj said, I was looking for broken pieces of glass, and now I've gotten a great jewel. And such is exactly what happened with this Ahiraja Kanya. Ahi means a serpent. Raja means the king. Kanyaha. I'm not exactly sure who these people are. It seems that they're some sort of Nagas. But as I said earlier, it's described in 525.5 how when these maidens came to the Lord to massage his lotus feet, Saprema, with great devotion and with various paraphernalia. So they were massaging his feet using various paraphernalia. They were, they were uh, equipped. They were ready. And they were thinking of what would please the Lord. Yes, they wanted to please the Lord to get something for themselves, but still they were thinking of pleasing the Lord. So they weren't anyabilasita sunyam. They weren't free of all material desires. But uh, they were engaged just in bhakti. Jnana-karma anavritam, anukulena krishna anushilinam. They were doing anukulena krishna anushilinam. They were trying to be favorable. They had all this paraphernalia, and they had devotion. So shilinam means external and internal activities that are external and internal. So they had the external activities of having all the proper paraphernalia to worship the Lord's pillow-like feet. And they also had the right mentality of love. And because they had that, they're grasping this pillow of the Lord's lotus feet to get something false. But as they're grasping this pillow of the Lord's lotus feet uh, with devotion and with paraphernalia, they get a taste for the real. And such is really been from the beginning the way that we in the Krishna consciousness movement have sold these spiritual books. Now we don't go up to people on the street and say, hey, here's a book that will totally dismantle your false ego, show you how you're full of all nasty things in your heart, and bring you to total uh, servitorship of a personal God. Uh, we don't say that. Because if we said that, everybody would run away. You, you can't say that. But you say to someone, oh, you know, what are you interested in? No, I'm interested in psychology. I'm a student of psychology. Oh, that's wonderful. This book tells you all about psychology. Oh, I, I study about, you know, an environment. I want to help with environmental. So, oh, this book tells you all about uh, Mother Earth and how we can best serve Mother Earth, and so forth. And we say to them, this book will help you fulfill your desires. The Bhagavatam itself will say that. If you read this prayer, if you study this story, you'll be free from your enemies, you'll have good children, and so forth and so on, and so forth and so on. Because when we touch the real, something happens. We say, oh, okay, great, that was what I wanted. And we touch the real, and then we get this experience. We get an experience of something that's genuine. You know, our whole life we've been just trying to enjoy a mirage, a dream. We've been running after the water in a mirage. And now we get real water, like Jesus told the woman at the well. He said, I can give you living water. You know, I, I compare this all the time to getting fresh, locally grown, tree-ripened, organic fruit. After you've had some store-bought you know, 
chemically ripened fruit flown in from halfway across the world. It's funny here in Hawaii where, you know, we have so many avocados falling off the tree, we couldn't make enough guacamole with it. And then you can go to the supermarket and, you know, here's avocados from Mexico. It's like, why are they flying in avocados from Mexico? When our own trees are falling down with the, literally falling down, the branches are so weighted with avocados that they're falling down. So you have one of these avocados right off the tree in your backyard, tree ripened. And you pick it and you're like, wow, I'm not going to buy some artificially ripened avocado from another country. You taste something real. You know, so many people today are being brought up on just chemically created food, food engineered in some scientific laboratory. And when they taste real food, they say, wow, this is amazing. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that the Lord's saliva is mixed with the prasadam. So people have one taste of this prasadam and they say, wow, what is this? And they get parandrishtratnivartate. So when we go to the Lord, when we hug the pillow of the Lord's lotus feet, we have the shelter of that pillow. We will experience something real, which will give us a higher taste. And then we'll say, wait a minute, why am I asking the Lord for this temporary foolish thing? Now, if you're going to a great king, you don't ask him for a handful of rice. You ask him for the best thing. So then we come to the last area we're looking at, going to the best, to the right place for the right thing. So it's very rare, very, 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 very rare that anyone will go to the right place for the right thing in the beginning. The Lord talks about the four kinds of people who come to him. Arta, we have Arta in this verse, Arta, Arta, Ti. One wants some material happiness, or one wants to get free of material distress. We want to get freedom from poverty, from disease, from enemies. You know, or one is just curious, what's going on? What's the world about? Is there God? Who am I? Where do I go at death? Or one is actually in knowledge. One is already Brahman realized. Uh, like the four Kumaras, Sukadeva Goswami, and one wants to go further. And Krishna says the jnani, uh, one who comes to him in that mood, is like his very self and is very dear to him. But he says all of those persons are dear to him. And, of course, Krishna only says of the devotee that he is himself. So even the jnani, even the Brahmin-realized person who comes to the Lord is, is now looking for something higher, is still self-centered. So it's understood that when we approach the Lord, we're approaching the Lord, generally speaking, starting off with something self-centered. That's, it's, it's all right in the sense that it is what it is. It's our situation. But gradually, usually gradually, as we serve the Lord and get a higher taste, we switch and we start saying to the Lord, you know, I trust you. I trust you. I trust that you know what's best for me. Yesterday we had a professional photo shoot of the family and so my six-year-old granddaughter put on this beautiful dress that my daughter had made many years ago, a handmade dress with embroidery and smocking, just absolutely gorgeous dress. But after breakfast when she was cleaning up, she got some fruit on her dress and her dress was, was not going to, she wasn't going to be able to use it anymore in the photo shoot. So she started to cry. So I went and started cleaning up her dress. And as I started cleaning up her dress, instead of thanking me, she started crying more. She said, Grandma, you're making the dress all wet. And now that it's wet, it's going to become see-through. And how will I wear it? And it will be uncomfortable. And I looked at her and I said, do you think I know what I'm doing? She wasn't very sure. I said, do you think I care about you? That she was sure about. And I said, can you trust me? And she looked at me and she couldn't trust me. She was just crying and crying. You know, so you know, I had to take off the dress and wash out the stains and put it in the dryer. And of course it was fine. But I thought that's what we're like with Krishna. You know, we come to Krishna with our various problems. And he says, okay, can you trust me that I can give you what you really want? And we say, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And as Krishna is giving us what's going to bring us real happiness, we're just crying and fussing. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? That's not going to work out, Krishna. Don't you know that's the wrong way to do it? Huh? So eventually a person gets intelligent and trusts Krishna. 
and says to Krishna, my dear Lord, I still have all these var artaha, I still have all these desires in this world, I still want to be rich and famous and beautiful and powerful and etc., etc., and all these, and loved and whatever, all the things we want in this world. But I trust you. I trust that you know what's best for me, and I'm asking you, you please give me the best thing. Please find what is, what is best for me now and for all eternity, and you please give me that. And when one sincerely, when one says that sincerely, then one finds one's shelter at this pillow of the Lord's lotus feet to be very soothing. It's nittai parakamala koti tandra shushitama jhai jagatadjurai. And this shelter at the feet of the Lord, Lord Nityananda, here we're talking about Sankarshana, who's also Lord Nityananda. Heno nittai binebai. Radha Krishna One cannot approach the ultimate reality without this shelter of Lord Nityananda. We have Koti Tandra Sushitala, so many millions of moons, so cooling, so soothing. You know, we may have our favorite pillow in the evening, uh, but the lotus feet of the Lord, they are cooling like millions and millions of moons, and they just wash away, just wash away all of our anxieties, all of our desires for things in this world, all of our illusions, our misconceptions, our attachments, our bad qualities, all those things get washed away. Just like some big wave of the ocean just coming, covering us in the heat of the, of the sun in the middle of the day. So no matter where we start from, no matter what we want, we should go to the Lord and come to the point, at least at some point, that we ask for the right thing. That we ask for the right thing. We actually have this pillow of his lotus feet. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to go from asking the wrong persons or the wrong places for the wrong things to going to the right person for the wrong things to going to the right person for the right things? Well, here we have that the sages are going, they're traveling through the water of the Ganges. And by yogic power, they can, because the Ganges goes throughout the universe, they can dip in the Ganges at one part of the universe, and by yogic power, they come up in another part of the universe. So, of course, we, uh, as followers of Lord Chaitanya, are certainly interested in bathing in the Ganga and the Yamuna. We're interested in going to these literal holy places. But our main river in which we want to dip is the river of the holy name. And just like you dip in the Ganges, you can come up any place else that there's the Ganges. So if one dips into the holy name, one can come up any place where there is the holy name. So one can dip into the holy name and come up in Goloka Vrindavan. That is what we want to do. And it is especially our immersing ourselves in the holy name that will give us the clarity, the desire, that we'll be able to approach the right person for the right thing. Harinama, 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 Evakevalam, Kaloanasteva, Although there are so many ways of becoming purified, especially in this age of Kali. We need to take shelter of the holy name of the Lord. And this is what will really make us able to be receptive. It will make us able to see things properly. It will make us able to change our motivations. And just like these sages are wet with the water of the Ganges, so we will also be covered with this nectar of the holy name which will then act as a protection against all the dirt of the world. It will reveal to us our true nature. It will reveal to us the nature of the Lord. It will reveal to us the foolishness of our material desires. It will reveal to us the fallible nature of all of our soldiers in the world. It will reveal to us the sweetness and the softness and the comfort of the Lord's lotus feet. It will give us everything. It will give us our eternal service and make us fully receptive 
so that when we are in the presence of the Lord, when we are in the presence of the sadhus, when we are in the holy places, uh, we will be fertile for the potent message of Krishna consciousness. So questions, comments? When listening to class, think of a, a nice question. And you really challenge me because every time I think of a nice question, you answer it <laughs> in the course of, of, uh, of what you're describing. But um, anyway, I, I did come up with one. You spoke a lot about approaching, you know, the, well, I guess especially towards the end, approaching the right person for the wrong thing and then the right thing. Uh, could you speak a little bit about what is the best thing to ask the Lord for? If we're approaching the right person for the right thing, what is the right thing to ask? What should we really be praying for? Why don't we just admit that we don't know and leave it up to him? Mm. You know, sometimes people go to a restaurant and the waiter says, what do you want? And they say, what's the best thing on your menu? I think we can ask that of Krishna. We can just simply go to Krishna and say, please give me the best thing for me that you can possibly give me and not try to figure it out I mean one problem when I try to figure it out at least speaking for myself is that I'm going to overlay some material conception on it so if I say Krishna please give me pure devotional service I don't even know what pure devotional service is I mean hey I could give a hundred classes on pure devotional service and explain it with reference to the Shastra but that's very different than understanding what it really is what is love? what do we mean by that? I don't even know. So if I'm going to ask Krishna for love, in my own mind and heart, what I'm asking for is not going to be the right thing at all. You know, it, it's and, and Krishna is not just hearing the words; he's he's hearing the mood. I mean, we all do that. Just like <laughs> I give this example many times. You know, you go to the dom, especially in Vrindavan. And you, if you're, you go past some shopkeeper, and the shopkeeper says, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. They're not saying Hare Krishna, they're saying, come to my shop and buy something. And everybody can understand that. You know, we, we can understand what they're really asking for, no matter what words they use. So Krishna's also like that. So better just, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm I'm a fool. You give me. You you go through your storehouse. You go through your you know your stock. Vara Deva. Here we have the word Vara. And you pick out. Or we can just repeat the prayers of the great devotees. That'll work. You know that's also another method. That we I mean, Kunti's prayers scare me. You know, don't say them. Okay, Balabhadra said we may not we may not be ready for the best thing. Then say, make me ready for the best thing. You know, and and of course you don't even have to ask that, he'll do that. But you can say, you know. Please give me the best thing and, and let me have the ability to receive it. But that's natural. I mean, it's just like as a teacher, if a student comes to me and says, you know, please teach me what is best for me. Well, I'm not going to immediately give them, you know, PhD level calculus when they're six years old. If I'm actually a good student, a good teacher, then if I know that that's what's best for them, I see this six-year-old kid as a math genius, you know, and that they have the, the ability for PhD-level calculus, what I'm going to do is take them to that point, step by step by step. So that's also a matter of trust. You know, I, I give the example many times that why do we teach kids about equivalent fractions, finding common denominators. In and of itself, that's pretty useless. You know, you really can't do anything just with finding common denominators. But without finding common denominators, you can't add or subtract.
fractions with unlike denominators. Just one second, I've got the, the uh, postal lady here. Hold on for one second, okay? Sorry about that. I don't think the postal carrier has ever been here at 7 in the morning before. So I think that that's included. And, of course, you know, we don't want to ask the Lord for the best thing because we're afraid. Maybe it'll hurt. <laughs> you know? <laughs> as, as if we don't have lots of pain from all the other things we've asked for. And as, and as if we know what's best for us. I mean, have we really, like, shown that in our experience, you know? What's my experience? Is my experience that when I think that something is going to be good for me and it will be the best thing for me, does that work out? Am I am I happy with all of my choices in life? You know? I get I get what I want. What do they say? There's there's two terrible things: not to get what you want and to get what you want. So you know you get what you want and you're like, oh no, why did I ask for this? And this was why Druva lamented. The question was, why was Drew lamenting? Because he got what he wanted. <laughs> and he's thinking, oh no, now i got to stay in this world for 36,000 years as a king with all this responsibility. And right? He said, I, I could have just gotten the best thing. Just imagine, you know, Krishna comes right in front of you. And he says, all right, well, you've had all these desires for this and that. Here they are. You got to stay in the material world for another thirty-six thousand years, and you get to have wealth and followers. And we're like, wait, wait a minute, what about going back to God? And he said, but you, but that'll be in a while. <laughs> First, you have to get all these other things, and then we just be kicking ourselves and say, what a fool I am, you know? Why did I? And that's what Juva did. He said, what a fool I am. Why did I ask for all of these things? So, and, and trust that Krishna is gentle and he's kind. I, I see that Krishna only puts devotees into difficulty either if they're pure devotees who don't experience the difficulty as difficulty. They experience the difficulty as, as happiness. Or to those who are so stubborn and attached that they're asking for devotion, but they won't, take, they won't do it the easy way. They just refuse. When Krishna makes it easy and, and simple and blissful, they, they just won't do it. So I don't think we need to be worried that Krishna is going to hurt us in some way. He's Subhadam Sadhubhutam. Anybody else? Nice question. Nice answer. Thank you so much. And it was also a nice question. <laughs> so here we have somebody saying, I've gotten slammed over and over again and wonder why did Krishna allow this? Why did he do this to me? Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry. I get slammed over and over again too. So this is not about you. But we get slammed over and over again when we refuse to listen or to cooperate in the easy, kind way. And there's just no other answer for that. It's, it's not something we want to hear, but that's the reality. You know, not, yes, e e even an ordinary parent is not going to punish their kid as their first, uh, as their first response. You know, your first response is always going to be, I mean, and most parents, most normal parents, the first response or normal teacher is going to be, please, you know, put that down and focus on your work. Can, can you please stop talking to the kid next to you and focus on it? That's going to be the first thing. It's going to be gentle. It may even be very personal. We may walk up to the student and just say it just in their ear. We may not even embarrass them in front of everybody else. We may just walk up to them and say, excuse me, can you please focus on your work? And if they keep not doing it, we, then we may say in front of everybody, hey, would you focus on your work? And then after a while, you know, we may put them in a room by themselves to focus on their work. Then we may say, okay, no recess time until you get your work done. Well, why is the teacher being so mean to me? And you'll see the kids, they'll, they'll keep blaming the teacher. You know, they'll, they'll, the te oh, the, it's, it's the teacher's fault. And we had that just the other day here. We were going to Rathiatra, and we said, anyone who wants to go to Rathiatra, we're leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning, and you have to have, you know, you have to be showered and dressed, and you have to have your hair combed, and this, and you have to have your laundry put away, and all this sort of stuff. And one of the kids didn't. And even it was 7.30, and I said, you know, you haven't even taken a shower. 
You haven't taken a shower, you haven't combed your hair, you haven't put your laundry away. And she still didn't do anything. And then it got to be 8 o'clock and she's crying. She said, I didn't go because nobody combed my hair. <laughs> you know, it's their fault. It's mommy's fault. It's grandma's fault. It's auntie's fault. It was her fault. It was her responsibility. So, you know, we blame Krishna, but it's if we were to respond quickly to Krishna's whispering in our heart, no, he wouldn't do that. Okay, a devotee says here, is it right or wrong to pray for a particular kind of devotional service, for example, dressing the deity but not cooking them? Yes, definitely. Uh, Prabhupada talks about in the Nectar Devotion that the devotee should serve the Lord according to their particular taste. And that's relevant both for the uh, sadhaka and for the sadhya. Definitely. I mean, as we advance in Krishna consciousness and we start realizing our our swarup, we realize our eternal identity, we will definitely pray for a particular service. We have Nirotam Das Thakur has many songs like this where he's praying for a very particular service. May I put decorate the uh, divine couple with sandalwood paste and fan them with a chamara. And he's asking for something very, very specific. And the acharyas explain how the, the different sakis and manjaris, they have a particular service. So some of them are gathering herbs and some of them are gathering flowers and they have the things that they like to do. Some of them are messengers. So as that awakens in us, yes, of course. And even at the beginning platform, it's actually Krishna's injunction that we should serve him according to our nature in this world. That according to the three modes of material nature, how they've combined in our particular body and mind, that we should use that in his service. That we shouldn't try to repress it. He says, what can repression accomplish? So definitely, we can say to Krishna, please let me use my talents, my abilities, my nature in this world in your service. That we should... That is, what Chris, that is what Krishna is asking us to pray for. Prabhupada said, everyone has some extraordinary talent, and to use that talent for Krishna is successful life. Okay, here we have a question. At times, wait a minute now. Uh, I can't see all of it at once. At times I get confused whether persons who follow other faiths, not fruitively, are also on genuine paths. Um... Which leads to Lord Krishna. Also, I realize since many, many years, people in different places have watered down philosophy of bona fide scriptures to suit their own whims and thus created hundreds of sects which are not pure passive God realization. People who have fruit of tangent dot watered down philosophy. For example, in such and such temple, how to know which group is strictly following the teachings in Paramparam, which is not. Uh, well, I, I really like for this answer the answer that Jesus Christ gave, that he says you can know a tree by its fruits. And Srila Prabhupada would also say that. Prabhupada said this to some disciples in the 70s who wanted to start their own organization. Prabhupada said, yes, a tree is beautiful if it has many branches, but the fruit should taste the same. So that's the ultimate test. The ultimate test, if you want to know if it's a mango tree, does it have mangoes? Now, it might be a sick mango tree. So it might be theoretically a mango tree, but because it's diseased or covered by insects, it's not actually producing any mangoes. So you have bona fide traditions, which as you explained, have become polluted, and all bona fide traditions become polluted, ours included. All bona fide traditions become polluted and have to be cleansed. That's and they become polluted very quickly, just like my room gets dirty very quickly. My body gets dirty very quickly. My teeth get dirty very quickly. My hair gets dirty very quickly. They get dirty very quickly. You can't, you can't go months and months and months without washing your body, without washing your hair, without cleaning your room. And you can't go many years without cleaning a parampara. Prabhupada says, as soon as the acharya departs, everything becomes disordered. So even a pure system of love of God has to be regularly, periodically cleansed. And then there are just false systems. There are systems which never taught love of God in the first place. You know, there, there are systems that teach just worship these ghosts and spirits, worship this being, and you'll get these powers. And, you know, there are many of those groups on this planet at this time. Just undergo this process to get powers and get something in this world. 
So those are impure processes. They're not even promoting love of God. They're not promoting selfless service. So first you look at the original teachings. Are the original teachings promoting love of a personal God? Are they promoting some selfless surrender and love of a personal God through devotional service? Are they promoting anyabhilasitasunyam, gyanakama, anyabhutam, anikulina, kishmanisunyam, bhaktivitam? Is that what they're promoting? And you'll find many system, religious systems of the world are indeed promoting that. And then you see, you know, are the current followers preaching that? And the chances are they're not. So what will people achieve? Well, that depends on the system they're following, and it also depends ultimately on them. So sometimes a person may be in an impure system due to some previous fate, and still Krishna can work with them in that impure system, and we have many examples like that. You know, when the Roman Catholic Church was very polluted, uh, still there were persons like Francis of Assisi and Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross who arguably achieved higher levels of pure devotional service, even in a polluted environment. And, you know, sometimes it happens. Sometimes in elementary school, a kid is doing PhD-level mathematics. And conversely, a person can be in a pure system, functioning in a very low level. People in Harvard, you know, just go out to the bar and drink and don't learn anything. So there's certainly people, uh, as Bhakti Nautikar called them, Kalichella. There's people who are in a bona fide parampara, but are really just disciples of Kali, and they're wearing tilak and neck beads and so forth. They're getting all the externals, but all they do is cause division and strife and quarrel and, and criticism. And ultimately, you can tell, are you developing love of God? Prabhupada said, how do you know you're eating? Prabhupada always said, we judge ourselves if we're making advancement. How do you know you're eating? How do you know? You get nourishment, you get relief from hunger, you get pleasure, those three things. So how does one know that one is in a bona fide system? One is getting free of material attachment and one is getting more attached to Krishna. Those two symptoms should be there. One should start being kind to all living entity. One's internal heart propensity for criticizing others should be going away. And Prabhupada said, if you say you're eating but you're not satisfied, then either you're not really eating or you have parasites. So not really eating, that's like you're chewing gum. You know, you're going through the, you're masticating and you're salivating, but there's no eating going on. It looks like eating. So you're in, that, if you're not making progress, either you're in a false system, you're in something that claims to be God conscious, Krishna conscious, and isn't actually. It's some, it's some kaitava dharma. Or you're in the right system, you're eating actual food, but some parasites are stealing your nutrition. So that means committing offenses, mixing jnana and karma with our own practice and so forth. But one can tell. You know? One can tell by the fruits. There are symptoms. Therefore, Arjuna keeps asking, what are the symptoms? What are the symptoms of one whose consciousness is thus merged in transcendence? How does he speak? What is his language? How does he sit? How does he walk? What are the symptoms of ones who thus transcended the modes of material nature? And how does he transcend the modes of material nature? Here are the 26 qualities of the devotee. Here are the qualities of the divine person. Here are the eight symptoms of one who's achieved bhava. The symptoms are there. We should start seeing that they're manifesting ourselves. Anybody else? We could take one more. Uh, I have a question. Yes. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. It's about um, chanting the about chanting the holy names that. We, we, we hear that we cannot really change the holy name when we are committing offenses. And at the same time, we are so covered that we don't come to realize the variety of offenses that we are committing, even against the body, which is what Krishna doesn't want. And so how, and you were telling us before about chanting the holy name to clear up our doubts. So how can we come out from this chain of asking the Lord about committing offenses and then not getting really the holy name to answer a word. Hmm. Oh my goodness. What a problem, huh? You know, all we need is just a little drop of sincerity and Krishna will work with that and fan that. He's, he's good. We don't have to try to control this whole situation. 
We don't. We really don't. We just have to cooperate. You know, my granddaughter just couldn't figure out how I was going to get that, those, that fruit out of her dress. She thought I was making it worse. She says, I don't want soap on my dress. Now you're making it see-through with the water. Now it's all wet. You're ruining everything. You know, she didn't have to control it. She just had to give me the dress. And, and trust me. So we don't have to try to control this whole thing. Spend time with the Holy Man being as attentive as we possibly can according to our level of current realization. Be as meditative and as attentive and as sincere as we can according to what I have now. And then he'll take us the next step and the next step and the next step. We, we have to, you know, do the external activities with as much a sincerity as we can muster at our particular stage. And then, as Prabhupada said, we'll be dragged to ultimate success. Thank you very much, Shilaprabhupada Kijai. Jai.